This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. Uh, on the line with us is Mark Silverthorne. He's a nationally recognized expert on the Canadian collection industry. He spent 12 years as a collection lawyer working for some of the country's largest collection agencies and at one point was sending out more collection letters than any other lawyer in this country. I had to laugh, Mark, when I read that. <sighs> Um, he, it was interesting too, reading about your epiphany that you had after, uh, after which you decided to represent consumers struggling with debt. And back in 2010, Mark wrote a book called The Wolf at the Door, What to Do When Collection Agencies Come Calling. And then in October of 2019, you retired from the practice of law, passion for helping Canadians with debt problems continued. And on March 1st of this year, he launched Debt Coach Silverthorne, an online consulting firm aimed at empowering Canadians struggling with debt. Uh, that was so interesting to read, Mark, and I'm so looking forward to this segment with you. Uh, so welcome, welcome, welcome. It's wonderful to be here. Great. Well, thank you, Mark. Um, as Elaine said, I'm really excited to have you as a guest today on, on the program. Um, and I'm really excited because I know you've been doing a lot of work on financial education lately and putting together um, some pretty detailed YouTube videos, uh, really aiming to shed some light on, I think, some parts of the industry where it's maybe not as well understood as it should be, you know, what the players are doing, how it all structures, and what's in the best interest of consumers. So I saw your most recent YouTube video with the pretty provocative title, Is Credit Counts? for suckers. Um, and that's what I want to talk to you about today. Um, so I wanted to start off with a bit of the definition. So what do you mean when you talk about credit counseling? You know, what types of organizations provide the services and what services do they actually provide? Well, uh, credit counseling is one debt relief option that is available to Canadian consumers. And essentially, what happens is when a person signs up for credit counseling, they are going to repay 100% of their current outstanding principal and interest owing to some of their creditors. Plus, they are going to pay a fee to the credit counseling agency. And they're going to be making monthly payments over a period of five years. There so are two different... Consumer, oh, sorry, go ahead, Mark. Yep. Well, there are two different uh, entities that offer credit counseling. There's one group that are nonprofit, and there's another group that are, I guess you would call them independent or for-profit. I guess from the perspective of the consumer, it doesn't really matter which of these entities that you sign up for credit counseling. You're, you're essentially getting the same service. So an indebted consumer would go to see a credit counselor. They'd say, I've got all this debt on a bunch of different credit cards, due to loans, income taxes, whatever. The credit counselor uh, would try to work out a plan where they pay everything off. They hopefully get a break on the interest and all that has to happen inside of five years. Is that a fair summary of how a credit counseling plan would work? Well, 
one of one of the issues with credit counseling is what debts are available to be put into a credit counseling plan. Number one, uh, there is no obligation on the part of creditors to agree to have one of their debts included in an individual's credit counseling plan. And so there are organizations like uh, finance companies that routinely refuse to have their debts included in a consumer's credit counseling plan. And then there's all, there are certain categories of debt that are not permitted to be included in a credit counseling plan. And that would include monies owing to the government, so income tax, student loans, and also secured debt so that more you know if you owe money on your mortgage or if you if you know you've you've got a secured car loan then those debts cannot be included in your credit counseling plan right so in, in the example i was i was giving there the credit counselor would say you know yeah i can help you with the credit cards you know let let's see if we can do an interest freeze on that. But the student loans, the income taxes, that's just going to have to continue to get paid is what it sounds like, right? Correct. Okay. And then, Mark, in your video, um, you said, you know, at your recent YouTube video, credit counseling can be the most expensive way to eliminate your debt. And I imagine that would surprise some listeners because most of the time when you hear about credit counseling, it's, hey, you're in a tough spot. Um, you know, this is going to be the best way for you to get out of debt. It's going to save you a bunch of money. Your contention is that it's well, actually one of the more, more expensive ways. And you've said there's five buckets that your payments can fall into inside a credit counseling plan. Can you take me through that, how the payments work and why you think this is the most expensive? expensive way to eliminate debt? Right. Well, let's start with the five buckets. So bucket number one is you're paying 100% of the principal and interest that you owe to your creditors on the date of your enrollment into credit counseling. Mm -hmm. The second bucket is the fees that are paid to the credit counseling agency. Now, I live in Ontario, and under Ontario law, a credit counseling agency is entitled to charge an, an additional 15% of whatever debt is included in a debt settlement plan as administrative fees. Mm -hmm. Number three, it is possible that some interest that is accruing on some of the debt that's included in the debt in the credit counseling plan uh, so what credit counseling uh, agencies do is they negotiate with a person's creditors to get interest forgiveness during the life of the credit counseling plan, but they can't, uh, they can't guarantee that. So a person who signs up for credit counseling may be paying some interest during the life of their plan. So the credit so the, counselor has to go kind of case by case with each of the debts and say, hey, will you agree to an interest freeze? And some just might not. And then the, the individual might still be stuck paying the interest on that debt. That's correct, right? Okay, correct. Now, payment, uh, bucket number four, you are not going to be able to include all of your debts in your credit counseling plan. So any creditor who says, no, 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 you can't include that, and your bank may say, you can't include that debt in your credit counseling plan because we want you to borrow the money. Or, you know, we want, you've got equity in your home. We want, you to, we want you to borrow the money and pay the debt. Or the finance company may say, we're not going to allow you to include that debt in the plan. Or 
there's certain categories of debt, like secured debt or monies owing to the government that you cannot include in a credit counseling plan. And finally, if you've been sued or if your wages are being garnished, then, you know, um, doing credit counseling is going to be of no benefit to you. You know, in contrast, if you were to do a consumer proposal, that would stop any wage garnishments. So, so just focusing there for a second, Mark, so you've been sued on your debts, you go in and see a credit counselor, there's, there's nothing that credit counselor can do in regards to those debts that you've been sued on, is, is that right? Yeah, they, they, they don't have any leverage in, in terms of... In, in, in terms of stopping the lawsuit or stopping the wage garnishment. Mm-hmm. So, Mark, what would you estimate it, it costs people if they're going through a credit counseling plan, um, you know, to eliminate a dollar of debt, you know, considering these fees and, you know, we don't know other debts that may or may not be included, but in general, what would be your estimate of something going through, someone going through a credit counseling plan? How much should they be expecting to, to repay on their debt? Well, I'm going to say somewhere between, in order to eliminate $1 of your existing debt, like today, if you were to sign up for credit counseling, there is a, you're going to be paying 100% of what, of what your current outstanding interest and in, in principal is. You're also going to be paying fees to the credit counseling agency, which can add another 15%. Plus, you may have uh, interest that is not going to be forgiven on on debts included in the credit counseling plan, and then you're going to have some of your debts which may not be included in your credit counseling plan. So I estimate that it could be anywhere between a cost any a consumer anywhere between one dollar and fifteen cents and one dollar and thirty cents. To eliminate one dollar of your existing debt, and wow. that that is the worst debt relief option that is available to Canadians. It is the most expensive debt relief option. Well, and, and that's a bold statement, but I, I think your math your math backs it up. So, if if you're someone who can't afford to pay your debts, you know, paying off them in full plus fifteen to thirty cents extra on the dollar, you know, how can that be your best option? And you're you're saying, Mark, it's not your best option. It's actually your worst option in many cases. Well, yeah, I mean, there's there's very there's there's I would say probably only you know less than five percent of people who are signing up for credit counseling probably should be doing it, and ninety five percent of people who have signed up for credit counseling you know, they, they're not being well served. They would have had better options in terms of eliminating their debt. Mm-hmm. Now, Mark, I know we're going to hold you over for a second segment here. We want to talk about, you know, the other alternatives to credit counseling and how they compare. Uh, but I was just curious from a regulation point of view, and I know we hadn't planned to talk about this, but I, I thought Ontario a few years ago, they changed some regulations around credit counselors that, you know, essentially made them similar uh, to collection agents. Are you able to speak to that? You know, does that make sense, the way Ontario regulates credit counselors these days to make them akin to a collection agent? Well, I mean, you can go on the Ontario government's website and it will list all of the firms that are have to be registered as a collection agency in the province. 
mm-hmm. and any firm that is a credit counseling agency must be registered as a collection agency in Ontario. So you've got um, Credit Canada Debt Solutions is, has got 18 collection agency licenses in the province of Ontario because they have 18 separate physical locations. And Credit Canada Debt Solutions is one of the three largest credit counseling uh, agencies in Canada. I'm just going to step in here, guys, and uh, wrap up the segment. Yeah, Uh, we've been talking with Mark Silverthorne, nationally recognized expert on the Canadian collection industry. Uh, His uh, the the videos, uh, the one specific video we've been talking about is Credit Counseling for Suckers is available on YouTube site. So nice and easy to find. Uh, I want to thank you so much, Mark, for joining us today. Thank you very much. You're listening to Dollars and Cents with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates, helping you get out of debt. We're continuing our interview with Mark Silverthorne. He's a nationally recognized expert on the Canadian collection industry, uh, spent many years as a collection lawyer, uh, and then saw the light and has dedicated the rest of his uh, working life to helping Canadians who are struggling with debt. Uh, the mantra for the company now, or his new firm, online consulting firm, is empowering Canadians struggling with debt. Uh, and I just want to mention the website if you if you want to jot this down. It's debtcoachsilverthorn.ca, and it's chock-a-block full of great articles as well as access to the YouTube videos of which we talked about in our first segment, and we'll touch on again in this second segment. So welcome, Mark. Uh, welcome back to our second segment on the show. Blair? It's great. It, it's great to be here. Great. Thank you. Excellent. And Mark, yeah, so thank you. So in our first segment, I I was really happy we went through, we discussed about credit counseling, discussed, you know, how you believe it's the most expensive way for a Canadian to eliminate debt. And it seems to be so, especially I think with the calculation of, you know, you're going to pay everything back plus 15 to 30 percent premium on top of that. Um, That's one of the more expensive ways for someone who can't even afford to pay back their debt to say they're going to be looking at, you know, even more than their balance is owing is not too encouraging, I think, for someone in that situation. So I thought for our second segment today, Mark, can we talk a little bit about how credit counseling compares to the alternatives? Because on dollars and cents, we're all about helping people understand, you know, here's the lay of the land, here's all the things you could potentially do, and then people can pick the best option that fits their circumstances. But what would you say are the different ways people can get out of debt, and how do they compare and contrast with doing a credit counseling plan? Well, one of the things that that happens is that when a creditor assigns an account to a collection agency, in some circumstances, the they freeze the interest rate. So no interest is accruing. So in those circumstances, the consumer would be better off making monthly payments directly to the creditor or the creditor's collection agent. In contrast, if they were to do credit counseling, they would be paying a, a fee as much as 15% on top of the, the debt that they are repaying to the to the creditor. 
And I think that that's so unknown, Mark, that, that you know, once you're put into collections, you know, it's probably not the best day that you're having, but it might actually be a positive thing and that you might be going from a very high interest rate to a, some collectors, again, to your point, they're not charging interest. So if someone just had a single debt, if the collector's not charging interest, they're going to be better off dealing with that directly with the collector rather than going through a credit counselor where there'd just be fees tacked on top of it. That makes sense, right? Correct. Okay. And so other than that, so the, the uh, accounts in, in collections, but maybe there's no interest being charged, what other alternatives? If you've got a debt, you're having trouble paying it. Well, if, if you have not made a payment in six months on your account, then most creditors, they might consider accepting or negotiating a one-time lump sum payment for significantly less than the current outstanding balance of the settlement in full. And, I mean, I've, I've, when I was a consumer lawyer, I negotiated settlements as low as 15 cents on the dollar. Uh, so, it, you know, that's certainly an option for people, particularly if they just have one or two debts. Mm-hmm. Now, some of the other options would be doing a consumer proposal. Uh, or seeing in, in for for individuals who do not have high incomes and do not have significant assets, in certain circumstances, it would be advantageous for a person to do uh, to file for personal bankruptcy. There's also the situation where, if a on a on a unsecured consumer debt, if a limitation, if a provincial limitation period is expired, a person may be in a situation where they can avoid paying a penny to a creditor. And Mark, can you give just a quick overview to our listeners of what that limitation period means? You know, we talk about it occasionally on the show here is two years in BC is the statute of limitations. But for someone who maybe isn't familiar with that, what does that mean if a debt is statute barred or is beyond the two year period or whatever terminology people would use? Well, essentially what it means is that if you're, it makes it difficult for, for, your, for your creditor to collect the money if they haven't sued you within that two year period. Because if they were to sue you after the two-year period, then what you could do is file a defense and plead the expiry of British Columbia's two-year limitation period as a full and complete defense, and you should be successful. Now, Mm -hmm. if you were to be sued and you didn't file a defense, your creditor could get a default judgment against you. So, uh, you know, just because the two years go by doesn't mean that the debt goes poof. It, it gives you a defense that you can raise in a lawsuit. Right. And so that, that's really important if someone's, you know, in legal proceedings are being commenced against them, they better respond to them because even if they would have an open and shut case, it's, you know, this debt is, is too old, I can't be sued or I can't be forced to pay it uh, unless they're there to make that defense. You know, it's just obviously not going to fly. And that's actually, that's dovetailing into another topic I really wanted to talk to you about today, Mark, is another great video I saw in your on your channel. So we've been talking about is credit counseling for suckers. Uh, you had another video, which was what is the likelihood my creditors will sue me? And I get asked that question a lot uh, at Sands and Associates here. Uh, I'm curious your, your take on it. So, you know, first off, what does it mean to be sued for a debt? And what are the scenarios where you might get sued if you owe somebody money and can't pay? Well, in when when a person is sued, it's, it's when 
when the creditor uh, you know prepares a, a legal document commencing a lawsuit they file it with the court and then then you're served with it and then you have so much time to file a defense and if you don't file a timely defense then your creditor will get a default judgment against you now if you file a defense then at some point there's going to be a trial and your creditor will either be successful or not and at any time during this process you can try to negotiate a settlement with your creditor and how often does that happen that someone owes some debt and they actually would get would get pursued with a with a legal legal remedy like you know like pursuing a judgment against them okay well i'll just sort of canvas some of the the highlights your creditor is going to be reluctant to sue you if the limitation period has expired Mm-hmm. Creditors are reluctant, or, or creditors will not sue people for small amounts. So that if you're if you owe two or three thousand dollars to your creditor, the chances are they're not the creditor is not going to sue you. Now, creditors are much more likely to sue you if you own real property, and the reason why is because all they have to do is get a judgment against you and put a lien on your property, and they've essentially got a GIC in your property, and they'll get their money plus interest when you either refinance the property or you sell it. Now, the rest of what I'm going to talk about is is um, is in connection with people who don't own real property. Mm-hmm. Uh, if If you've got a great job, your creditor will be tempted to sue you because they would sue you, get a judgment against you, and then do a wage garnishment. And if you've got a great job, you're not going to quit your job. But let's say you've got a low-paying job and your a wage garnishment notice gets sent to your employer. Well, what people will typically do in that situation is they'll quit your job, and that ends the garnishment. Mm-hmm. So creditors are reluctant to sue people who have a job um, that's not a particularly high-paying job. And creditors will also be reluctant to sue people where the where the consumer is paying child support under a court order, or if they've been sued by other creditors, or if they owe significant money to other creditors, or if they're unemployed, or if they're on social assistance, or if they're support themselves on a pension so so i i get a lot of panic calls of people saying oh my gosh i've been threatened with legal action and i tell people they're going to threaten ten thousand out of ten thousand people that owe money but the actual people that get sued to your point mark it's the folks that have real estate who have very stable employment where you know a garnishy order would actually return some money Uh, those would be the hallmarks of people that might have legal action taken against them other folks much less likely yeah and i I'll, i'll give you sort of some insights i mean I worked for 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 three or four of the largest collection agencies in Canada over a 12-year period, and I sent out hundreds of thousands of letters threatening to sue people. And I doubt if we sued one out of 100,000 accounts. Wow. So, I mean, if you get a letter from a collection agency or a lawyer uh, representing a collection agency threatening to sue you. Uh, I mean, chances are, like, the lawyer hasn't even read the file. I mean, it's just a form letter that goes out. 
Mm-hmm. So, you know, collection agencies are in the business of hounding people, and they're trying to get the low-hanging fruit, and it's just the, the economics of things. If creditors were to sue everybody who owed them money, they would lose money on their bad debt portfolio. And they're in the business of squeezing out, you know, maximizing their profit on their bad debt portfolio. So they cherry pick the files that they want to sue, but they'll threaten to sue everybody. Mark, we're down to just our last couple minutes here, but I really want the listeners to have a chance to know how they can reach you and and what your new focus is with Debt Coach Silverthorne. So would you be able to give a sense of, you know, what what you're doing with Debt Coach Silverthorne, obviously how people can find these great videos and what type of assistance you might be able to provide? Okay, so our website is uh, debtcoachsilverthorne.ca, and our firm's mantra is empowering Canadians struggling with debt. And if you go on our website, we've got all kinds of articles that would be of assistance to people uh, you know, struggling with debt. And we've also got, um, you can see all the videos that we've got up on the Debt Coach Silverthorne YouTube channel, including our most recent one is Credit Counseling for Suckers. And I also offer... Um, uh, one-on-one telephone consultations for people who, who think that they need a, a one-on-one telephone consultation. Great. Well, thank you very much, Mark. Uh, Elaine, I think we're, we're coming up on our time. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. We'll, we'll wrap it up. Again, uh, I would like to thank you as well, Mark, for, for being part of the show today. Uh, again, I'll just go over the website. It's debtcoachsilverthorne.ca, chock-a-block full of uh, great articles, as well as the YouTube videos that Mark was talking about, uh, give you some real insight. And, and the fact that the, uh, the company's mantra is empowering Canadians struggling with debt is uh, maybe just up your alley. You're listening to Dollars and Cents with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates, helping you get out of debt. So, is it a bump in the road or a financial sinkhole? And the only way to know the difference is look at the key debt warning signs that just you just shouldn't ignore. So, Blair, every day you and your team at Sands & Associates talk to consumers and small business owners who are looking for good debt advice as well as solutions. In your experience, do many people arrive at the conclusion that they need debt help for the same reason? Well, definitely, Elaine. There's a lot of commonality uh, with the clients that come to see us. And what's also really interesting, too, is the balance between feeling in control of your debt versus debt being in control of you can change very, very quickly. Sometimes things can really unravel in the space of a few months. Uh, sometimes things have been building over a number of years, but then there's some sudden shock and then things suddenly become a a crisis, but a lot of people don't realize how close they actually are uh, to a financial crisis until they're, you know, essentially in the middle of it. Um, you know, no situations are exactly alike. Uh, what we do every year at Sands and Associates is we survey um, our past clients and we try to ask those insights, you know, about how could how could you recognize your problem and looking back in hindsight, you know, what is clear to you now that perhaps wasn't clear in that moment. Um, and what also becomes clear too is that 
very few people actually seek help at the first sign of financial difficulty. It's only 5% of individuals said, yeah, as soon as I knew I was in trouble, I reached out, I got some help, I got a plan, I didn't suffer. For 95% of people, it's the opposite. They suffer, they flail about, they're not sure where to go, they end up being incredibly stressed out. And sometimes that can extend for up to two years. So when someone says, you know, I've had your number, I've been wanting to call for about 18 months, I say, yep, you're right in the ballpark of what typically people do suffer for that period of time. And why they suffer, what people told us, is they're trying to figure out a solution on their own. So they want to manage their debts independently. That was the most common reason why people didn't reach out for help right away. Now, second to that was they thought there was no solution to their situation. So what I'm so proud of and what we do in this show is we really give people the information they need to understand there's a solution to every single debt problem you could be facing. But the vast majority of people just think that it's hopeless. They either don't know about a proposal at all or they have a horrible conception of what a bankruptcy would mean. Um, So the education we're able to give, you know, it really can be life changing. Um, Oftentimes people don't know where to seek help. So they don't know that the trustee exists. They don't think it's a person that that can actually help them rehabilitate. Um, And then finally, just the embarrassment or the shame. And this is really universal. There's no one that I've met that's walked into my office, you know, incredibly proud of being $50,000 in debt. They might have been proud of all their achievements prior to that problem and proud of, you know, their future upside. But, you know, being in debt, it can really hit your self-worth, you know, your ability to be kind to yourself, your self-esteem, and all that can manifest itself even physically with health issues. So, you know, not getting help, it's really not a long-term strategy and it can just get worse and worse. Now, I know because of how often and how many people you've talked to in your career, you have some really good ideas, some first things that you want people to be on the lookout for as potential signs that their finances may need some closer attention before they get to that really difficult stage where they're in trouble and they need help now. What are some of the things that people, you know, the average person could just look at and just sort of double check and see how they're doing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, some of these might be might sound pretty common sense, and that's okay. Some might be surprising. The first, I think this is, you know, the most common sense of all is, are you surviving or thriving based on your budget? So having a balanced budget is not surprising, but that's really the basic recommendation to manage your debt. But you need to consider, is your budget revolving around your debt? You know, how much of your household income is spent making your debt payments each month? Uh, If it's all of your household disposable income, are you not saving any money at that point? Do you have any emergency savings? Do you have the insurances that you need if something were to happen? You know, if you can't afford to get contents insurance because you're paying all your money to debt payments and suddenly there's a flood, a fire or something like that, that can be financially catastrophic. Uh, What resources would you have if there was an unexpected repair or a sudden temporary dip in income? A lot of folks that I see, their budget is stretched just to the max uh, and they use credit as a safety net. Uh, But that's really not a long term plan because eventually, um, you know, the credit could be pulled back at any point or might hit its limit uh, and then it would be a real challenge for you. Okay, so um, savings and adequate insurances can make a big difference on how anyone handles a financial emergency. But credit as a safety net can be super comforting. But it isn't ideal, uh, is it? Oh, sorry, Lane, you were asking me it, it isn't ideal? Yeah, it is. It's not ideal. No, no, definitely. 
No, definitely not. The better habit to get into is the idea of paying yourself first and figuring out a bit of a hierarchy. So, you know, your first thing is you need to make sure you're saving for that emergency fund every month. But after then, you want to think about, you know, retirement planning, a TFSA, a tax-free savings account, for example, or maybe uh, education savings plans if you have kids at that certain age. But if your budget's at the point where essentially you're only making ends meet by either going further into debt um, or you're struggling to just make the minimum payments each month, you're not going to be able to achieve your financial goals because your budget is just going to constrain you too much. Got it. Okay. And before we go to um, to move on to the other warning signs that you want to talk about, I just want to remind folks to go to the website for Sands and Associates at sands-trustee.com. It's filled with great questions and really good answers. And if you want to give them a call and set up that, that first appointment, easy to do. Their number is 1-800-661-3030. And of course, uh, they're super accessible, have offices all over British Columbia. So let's stay with the warning signs, Blair. What's the last one that you you think is super important? Yeah, another really important one here is what we call the minimum payment trap. So, you know, we've talked about if your budget is so stretched because you're only making minimum payments, but you really need to understand making minimum payments, though your credit rating might still look pretty good, that's one of the biggest warning signs that you're not on a good financial plan. You're on a financial plan that's going to keep you in debt for many, many years. So we talk a lot on on this show about, you know, various examples, uh, you know, a $6,000 debt, even an amount like that, can be up to 40 years to pay off at just minimum payments. And that was a really key warning sign by, uh, by uh, clients who responded to our most recent survey. Only making minimum payments was 60% of people's main warning sign. That's how they knew they had a problem is they looked at their credit balances each month. They were straining like crazy to get all the minimum payments paid. And then the next month, they saw their debts had went down by just a few dollars, just maybe 10% of what they had paid. The 90% was payments in charges out and it really wasn't drawing down their balance so the minimum payment trap is just so important to avoid now is this where you always like to talk about the rule of 60 as 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 a good tool for folks yeah, I think that's a good a good uh, little math test to do is to say, you know, if you think you don't have a debt problem, okay, take the amount of debt that you have, your credit cards, lines of credit, student loans, income taxes, things other than a mortgage or a car loan, take that amount, forget about the interest, but divide it by 60 and just see what that monthly payment looks like. So if it was $30,000 of debt divided by 60, that's $500 a month and just see, okay, if I really wanted to get out of debt over 60 months, forgetting about the interest, could I pay $500 a month? And if that seems like, oh, my gosh, I couldn't pay $200 a month, that's a big indicator that whatever you're doing, even if you're just paying the minimum payments, you're not going to get out of debt keeping that same behavior. You're going to need to get help, ideally from a licensed insolvency trustee. And are there any other warning signs that folks can watch out for once they realize they're sort of moving into that next level of working on a plan to pay off their debt that we can finish the segment off with? Yeah, a couple of really important ones. Um, So one is using assets to pay down your debt. So not always a warning sign. Sometimes, you know, if your eyes wide open could be what you want to do. But many times when I see it, it's people didn't have eyes wide open. They used an asset to pay off their debt because they thought they would lose it. And in reality, it was a protected asset. So the common ones, the most common one that breaks my heart is cashing in RRSPs. 
So if someone there is listening, thinking about cashing in their RRSPs to pay their debts because they figure they're going to lose them anyway if they're sued or if they have to file a bankruptcy, they wouldn't lose them regardless of a bankruptcy or even if they were sued. But if you cash them in to pay your debts, they're gone at that point. You can't easily get them back and you probably got yourself a bit of a tax liability as well. So be very careful using assets to pay debt. Um, the other is just to be very careful about trying to borrow yourself out of a situation. So, you know, sometimes you'll consolidate all your debt together and you'll decide to refinance your mortgage, for example, but you haven't changed your spending patterns or the underlying issue that caused the problem. So then suddenly the debts go back up again. Um, or in other cases, you're looking to consolidate your debts, but you end up bringing in a co-signer, for example. So someone who is not involved in your debts at all, you've now made them fully liable for your co-signed consolidated debts. Both of those are very risky strategies, something consumers should definitely think twice before pursuing. All right. Uh, if you want, if you've got more questions and you want some answers, the website is great with Sands and Associates at sands-trustee.com or give them a call. Set up that first appointment, uh, 1-800-661-3030 uh, and get started on that plan. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. So this segment's all about bankruptcy. If you're thinking you may file for bankruptcy, here is a whole bunch of things you should know and shouldn't do. Uh, Blair Manton says a lot of folks contemplating personal bankruptcy to deal with their debts worry about how it's going to impact them. And that's what this segment's all about. We're going to talk about, or he's going to explain a few bankruptcy basics as well as planning considerations leading up to filing. So Blair, can you start right off the bat by explaining a bit about what personal bankruptcy is and how it works in British Columbia? Because it is a little different than in other provinces. Yeah, absolutely, Elaine. And before we go into some of the details, just, you know, two points to really call out right off the top is bankruptcy is not the only legal debt solution in Canada. So you could have other options. We talk a lot in this show about people that come to see a licensed insolvency trustee thinking bankruptcy is their option. They end up filing a consumer proposal. So definitely keep in mind, it's not the only option that's available. But if you do decide to file for bankruptcy, it's generally nowhere near as bad as scary or as difficult as people fear that it may be. So bankruptcy is a legal remedy. It allows you to have your debts forgiven and achieve a financial fresh start. Uh, in Canada, it's a federally governed uh, procedure. It's under the Bankruptcy and Insolvency Act, and it's only accessible through working with a licensed insolvency trustee. So you don't need to hire a lawyer. You don't need anybody else. You just sit down with a licensed insolvency trustee. Um, you just have to owe more than $1,000, not be able to pay the debt uh, as it as it becomes due. And the benefit of filing for personal bankruptcy is you get forgiveness for just about every type of debt including credit card debt, overdrafts, tax debt, ICBC, payday loans, student loans, personal debts, just about everything, you name it. Uh, you can protect assets and income that otherwise might be vulnerable to seizure by creditors. So if you're being threatened with a wage seizure, if you file for bankruptcy, you have protection. That can't happen. You're protected under the legislation. Uh, you get a relief from the stress of people calling you, harassing you, again, threatening legal action. Once you're in bankruptcy, you are protected. And you get a clear debt-free date. So when you file a bankruptcy, right in your initial documents is the date when the bankruptcy is going to finish. And that's usually as little as nine months from the day you sign those documents. So you know exactly the goal that you're working towards and when you'll be able to have that financial first start. So what are some of the common things that people worry about uh, with the bankruptcy process? Well, a couple of things people think right off the bat is that there's some limitations on the types of debt that can be included. So a lot of people think government debt, 
student loans, even sometimes personal debts, well, those must be kept outside of the bankruptcy process, and that's not true at all. So the Canada Revenue Agency, they've got no special status in the bankruptcy. They're the same as every other creditor. So any amount you, you have owing to the government or again to anybody personally, corporately, whatever, all of your debts are included in a bankruptcy. There's a very small limitation. If there was a debt, you know, owed due to fraud or if it was alimony or child support, those are kept outside of a bankruptcy, but those are very few and far between. In general, somebody filing for bankruptcy should expect that all of their debts are going to be resolved and discharged at the end of the proceeding. Okay. Um, Do you want to talk about the limits around eligible debts or just go into how long bankruptcy can last? Yeah, let's talk about how long it lasts. I think that's that's important. So, Yeah, in most cases, if you've never been bankrupt before, bankruptcy is going to run for nine months from the day you sign the bankruptcy documents to when you're released and you have no further obligations to the bankrupt estate. Um, So what happens during the bankruptcy is instead of paying your debt, uh, you deal with the trustee instead of your creditors and you have to complete a few duties and pay some basic administration fees. Usually administration fees are $200 for each month that you're in bankruptcy. So over a nine-month period, you'd pay a total of $1,800 dollars, which for most people is a whole lot less than they were being asked to repay on their debts. And that payment is gone after nine months, let alone, you know, the multiple years they might have to been been making minimum payments if they were going to try to pay off the debts in full. Uh, The duty someone has to focus on if they file a bankruptcy is they have to attend two private one-on-one financial counseling sessions. So this is more of a benefit than an obligation telling you how to rebuild your credit, how to do a good household budget, trying to put you on a good path for the future. Uh, They have to submit a budget or their statement of income and expenses, tracking the household spending and income on a monthly basis. So part of bankruptcy is financial rehabilitation. So we need to understand, um, is the household structured for success going forward? Are there some additional counseling we can provide? And that's accomplished by reviewing the budgets. Uh, there could be some extra payments required if a person is earning significant amount of money, amounts of money in the bankruptcy. Uh, they're no longer able to just pay $200 a month. They might have to pay more. And those are more complicated situations. You re- review all that in detail with a trustee. And sometimes it's more attractive to do a consumer proposal instead of a bankruptcy. Uh, but that is one of the key parts of the bankruptcy is to understand you're reporting your income and might have to pay a little bit based on the income. Now, other than that, things people do in bankruptcy, they do a lot without thinking. You know, if you move, let us know if you move. When it comes time to file the taxes, give us the tax information to file for the year of the bankruptcy. But generally, it's a pretty unobtrusive process. You give the budget in each month, you attend the financial counseling sessions, and you make sure the money's in your account each month for the $200 payment. For most people, that's what bankruptcy entails. Okay. I know this is really important to you, Blair, that you talk about the things that you want folks to avoid doing, the the stuff you shouldn't do uh, in the lead up to declaring bankruptcy. Yeah, there's definitely a few pitfalls here, Elaine, and I've just seen, you know, the impact of someone taking an action. They think they're doing the right thing, but it can really come back to bite them and can even expand their problem to include, you know, other members of their family or friends, which is something you always want to avoid. So a couple of really key things here is transferring or selling assets. So if you know you're in a situation where you have a debt problem, you're not going to be able to pay all your debts off in 
default, you should not be moving any assets out of your name. Um, if you do so, you have to make sure any assets that you sold were for fair market value. You know, if they were sold to a third party, that's great. That's assumed they were paying fair market value. If it was sold to a family member, for example, let's say a vehicle where the black book should be $10,000, you sold it for $5,000, you need to make sure you can document exactly why that was fair market value. Because ostensibly, if you had filed a bankruptcy, for example, and that car was worth $10,000, at least some of that car's value should have went to pay back some of the debts. So sometimes people want to protect their assets and, you know, discharge the debts and get rid of them. Um, but, you know, oftentimes the assets that you're trying to protect by moving them out of your name, they might be protected anyway. So a lot of people don't realize there's exemptions if you file for bankruptcy, for a vehicle, as I mentioned, for your tools of the trade, for your household goods, for your furniture. So just be very careful if it's a situation where you know you're not able to pay your debts, uh, you shouldn't be transferring assets. Definitely for, for no value, that's just generally a bad thing. But if you do sell an asset, just make sure it's for a fair market value and no one could say you sold it at a price that was too low. So that's an important pitfall. I know that uh, this is a natural thing to do is, is there, okay, well, I can pay you, but I can't pay you. So you don't want to sort of selectively decide, right? That's a huge one, Elaine. So that's called making a fraudulent preference. And, you know, it sounds very harsh and you might have no fraudulent intent, but if you owed, you know, Bank of Montreal and Royal Bank money and also mom and dad, and you only paid back mom and dad, that's a problem if you file for bankruptcy because that wasn't fair. You know, your parents got some money back and the banks didn't. And if you were to file for bankruptcy, the trustee might have to go to your parents and say, hey, that money you received, we need that paid back. And, you know, that's not fun for anybody on any side. So the best thing is if you can afford to pay everybody, pay everybody. If you can't afford to pay everybody, then you want to spread the money equally or just don't pay anybody and decide you're going to restructure your debts. Just don't pay anybody for a period of time. Come and see a trustee and let us administer how the payment should go. And I guess also, too, with that, you know, just wanting to avoid opening the mail and, and not seeing how bad things are. Yeah, you definitely want to keep opening the mail because that might be the only notice you have. Some pretty significant actions being taken against you. There could be court actions. There could be seizures happening against you. So definitely open the mail. If you're not comfortable doing that, bring it into us. We'll open it with you. But you do want to keep your eyes open just so you know what might be coming towards you. Okay. And, and closing then, Blair, I just want to remind everybody to check out the website, sands-trustee.com. Uh, such good information on there. Lots of good questions and loads and loads of good answers. Or give, give Sands and Associates a call. It's 1-800-661-3030 for that first uh, free consultation. Sit down with somebody. Lay out what your situation is. They've got offices all over British Columbia. And of course, they're doing lots of things online as well. You're listening to Dollars and Cents with Blair Mountain from Sands and Associates, helping you get out of debt. You've been listening to Dollars and Cents. See you next time. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. 
<laughs> For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.